0: You would pull out this rainbow card from Carrot that was like stainless steel, and you'd like bang it on the table, and people would be like, "What is that card you have?" It yeah. <laughs> was
1: the funniest. Yeah.
0: Thing. <laughs> <laughs> hey, like this is super it's American funny. Psycho. Welcome to another episode of Our Future Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Simran Sandhu, and I'm joined by my co-founder and co-host, Michael Sakan. We're two guys in our early 20s who sold our startup to a major media company, and now we study other young founders who are crushing it in their industries and give you the tactics and strategies they use to win in business. So today's episode is FinTech Mania. Mike, how you feeling? You ready to rock?
1: Dude, let's do a little fintech fuck around, if you know what I'm saying. You know, I, the the podcast is simple, all right. There's these boys, they're grinding, they're building billion-dollar companies, <laughs> and the boy Mike and Simmy. Well, we just package up the insights, ship them right to you. You know, call us Jeff Bezos for for startup insights. That's how I like to think about it. So,
0: all right, Jeff, we're ready
1: to give you what you need.
0: Yeah, hit them with it. What do we got, entrepreneur number one?
1: I'm going to start off this episode on a serious note. These guys, Eric Way and Will Kim, they're going to build a massive company, or perhaps even the JP Morgan of the creator economy. So they've built this fintech startup called Carrot. Some of their investors include Will Smith, Jared Leto, Josh Richards. They have a super buzzy cap table, and it's fat as well. They've raised hundreds of millions of dollars in a mixture of debt and equity, to build the credit card for content creators, but their vision is so much bigger than that. So let me take you back in time. So these boys probably didn't even need to start a company. They were killing it on the corporate route. So Eric went to Harvard. Then he went on to Blackstone, the world's largest private equity firm before hitting things over at McKinsey and then working at Meta on their Instagram live feature. Let me bring you to Will. He did his master's in comm sci at Stanford. Then he went to work at Peter Thiel's data startup, Palantir, and then got his feet wet in the VC landscape. Now, these guys became friends playing board games at around 2016, and there's no better game to play with your boy than starting a business. So three years later, after 2016, they took you know the Monopoly board into the real world. Really, the problem they were attempting to solve was creators don't have access to capital. Uh, traditional lending institutions and banks don't understand the businesses of content creators and therefore weren't giving creators the capital they needed to grow and operate their businesses. So they built a credit card for content creators with a unique algorithm that analyzes a creator's following, kind of what their revenue is, where their income's coming from. It's very native to the creator industry. Fast forward to now, the company just closed their series B. It was $40 million in equity, $30 million in debt, and their vision is a lot bigger than just credit cards. So Super excited to jump in on this fintech company with you, Simi.
0: Yeah, dude, I'm super excited to jump in. What I think is really interesting between both of the entrepreneurs we're going to cover today is neither of them meant to go start a credit card company. They kind of fell into it. And I get it, right? Like, it's super expensive. It's extremely risky to go start a a credit card company. Um, When we were talking to Will and Eric, they said there's three elements that go into building a credit card company. You have to get the acquisition part right. You have to get underwriting right. Right. And you have to get cost of capital right. And on top of that, it's like you have to raise hundreds of millions of dollars. And I know that can be a little deceiving because it's like a lot of that is going to be used to fund the actual credit card. It's just to, to actually right. facilitate the pay- payments. But it's like, am I really gonna trust, you know, these young kids and give them a multi-hundred million dollar check or whatever that looks like to go do this? Like that's that's really hard. Yeah.
1: The first things these guys were doing is like, how do we MVP this? business model, where we help give creators more capital to grow their, their business. And the first thing they did was use something called a merchant cash advance. A merchant cash advance is actually in the business world seen as quite a predatory lending tactic. And what it does is you're essentially selling future revenue, a percentage of future revenue to a lender um, And there's often insanely high interest rates. So if you rack up debt through merchant cash advances, you're in a really, really bad position. So totally. not a great instrument, right, for founders to be growing their businesses with. And then they realized, like, we need to do, like, this card. So they actually scrapped their presentation at Y Combinator. <laughs> uh, they They were presenting. It was, like, demo day. I think a day before demo day or maybe a day after demo day, they were like, wait, we're not gonna do this strategy. Like, we're gonna do something completely different and do a credit card. And it turned out to be kind of the the right intuition because they built a product that a lot of creators have in their wallet. Um, So that was just a, a story and flexibility.
0: Well, it's also interesting because you take something that's working, right? Like their original business model that they must have pitched NYC and probably spent their entire time building out. Like the fact that you have to have that kind of conviction in not only yourself, but say, I'm going to do this the right way, like this doesn't feel right to me. And so I'm not going to pitch this, even if you're like a few days away from like the big day at YC being demo day. um, That's probably the kind of intuition you have to have to succeed in business. It's like being willing to like pull the plug at the last minute if you just don't feel good about it.
1: Well, I also Y Combinator puts a lot of stress on their founders to have all their shit figured out and to have like this growth rate, that growth rate. It's like really daunting. So kudos to them for, you know, believing in themselves and and taking that pivot into the last minute because it's been successful. So I have my my carrot card right here. So I got this card. And um, the main reason was because I wasn't able to get a traditional credit card, just like the rest of the content creators who might get a carrot card, um, you know, I didn't really have a credit score, but with this, they could look at my social profiles and see that we had a successful company, and they could look at our bank statement and be like, "Oh, here's a 17 grand monthly limit." So, I thought that was cool. The card's metal; it's really hard. <laughs> um, what Eric was telling me is like, we play into a few things. He's like, he's like your heart, your mind, and and your dick, and he's like, well. You that know, was off the if record. This recorded, yeah. If this was recorded, I'd say ego. <laughs> um, but it's like, you know, your heart and your mind, like, we understand you, like, we understand your problems in this industry, and then your dick, like, you're coming out swinging with a metal card, you know, like...
0: I'll go to these dinners in New York City, right, all the time, and you get to the point where it's time to pay for dinner, and they're like, okay everybody put your card down, right? And it's like this weird thing where like everyone's pulling out like a Chase Sapphire Reserve or an AMAX Platinum. And it's like, you don't want to be the guy who doesn't pull that out. And it's like a really strange thing. Maybe it's like (laughs) just being in those bubbles, but- I was surprised, right? Like a lot of it is just the aesthetic of the card. That's probably why Apple Card has done so well, right? That sleek (laughs) white design. And I think even that's what was so interesting. Like you would pull out this rainbow card from Carrot that was like stainless steel and you'd like bang it on the table and people would be like, what is that card you have? And it was the funniest yeah. thing. <laughs> hey, like this is It's American funny. Psycho. Yeah. You it's like w- yeah. You remember when we That's went? Metal. To, you remember when we went to VidCon and like there was this place where they would engrave your carrot card, yes. and you get an octopus yeah. on it. <laughs> he got like, an bro, octopus, bro. Look at what I just did my <laughs> carrot card. It's got an octopus on it. I was like, what the hell is that? Like, <laughs> you were so stoked about it.
1: Let's think about it. They built a fintech company for a specific kind of customer. And they did an incredible job of suiting that customer's needs, right? And what is a content creator's needs? A lot of it is cloud-focused, right? So not only do they offer a really high-value aesthetic card, but their reward system was built into that ego-like strategy, right? So I was racking up all these points on my carrot card because once I would get to 60,000, I could get a billboard in Times Square, Right, with my face on it, like Michael Zakan, a million followers, right? It was playing into that desire as a creator to be recognized, right? Yeah. And to have a lot of people see you, right? So, if there was any good demographic to build a credit card for, it was for these hyper social, right? Influencer types who not only make a strong statement when you're paying for things at dinner, right? But also, are documenting their Carrot card like as part of their life in their vlogs or whatever, and they're posting about you when you get put on Times Square and tagging Carrot. So they did something amazing to get like a $0 CAC. So they didn't spend any money on marketing to build this company and now have you know tens of millions, if not more, being spent per month with these cards and have built a pretty awesome business for themselves.
0: Yeah, dude, that's the thing, right? Like they did like the, the chess master move, which was they could have promoted the credit card itself, right? Like they get all of this billboard space in Times Square and talked about Carrot. But instead, let's just showcase the creator, right? Because if we have a creator that has millions of followers and we showcase them on this billboard with, hey, like congratulations for hitting, you know, X amount of spend on your Carrot card, right? They're going to share it, right? So it's like free marketing. Now 2 million people are going to be blasted. And now- all of these creators want to be on this Times Square, you know, billboard. And I was like, that is a cool way to build this like organic flywheel.
1: Yeah. I mean, they they crushed it. I yeah. think what you said, there were three things that make a successful credit card, low cost of acquisition, um, cost of capital. So I guess the the interest rate on the money you've borrowed to fund the cards. Yeah. And there was one more thing. And underwriting. Um, And underwriting, yeah. right? So they nailed the acquisition cost thing. And yeah. I just, I think it's worth noting that, like you said, like these guys weren't trying to build a credit card company, you know, they were trying to solve a problem and that is why they're, they're trying to be more than a credit card company. They're trying to be, you know, this one-stop shop financially for creators. They're trying to be the, the Amex, the JP Morgan content creation, right? right? And, and how does this look, right? This is like, they added some tax services, right? So, you know. The the guy at H and R Block is like, you know, what what's this brand deal? Like, what are you getting like pineapples on TikTok live? (laughs) Like how how does this business work? Like, you know, like I wasn't trained as a CPA to like understand this. So they're doing tax services, you know, to help creators take advantage of, of loopholes and stuff, being content creators, just like any small business. Um, and they're doing bookkeeping, right, for content creators, and there's a whole slew of events and services, and let's not forget that they do like exclusive parties and events, like they're really playing into what this kind of ideal customer wants, like their ideal customer wants as a content creator. It's
0: definitely like a buzzy, vibrant brand, like I've done, I think they've done an amazing job at that, but like to kind of double down on the point you're making here, which is They use credit cards as the entry point, and now they're building an ecosystem Mm -hmm. for, like, everything a creator would need or, like, problems they face. So I think it's, like, really interesting, right? Because, like, normal people struggle with taxes, and I think for creators it's, like, doubly so, right? Just because it's, like, a lot of it is, like, independent contractor-style money, right? It's, like, um, really kind of weird how you have to structure a lot of these things. It's strange. So it's like a lot strange. of pe- a lot of people have been coming to them and be like, "We want these capabilities." And now like the good thing with a credit card is like once they're already in the ecosystem, trying to upsell them on a bunch of different products becomes so much easier. You just need to get them yes. like associated and familiar with your brand. Yes.
1: Yeah, I mean, dude, think about it. Like yeah. there are full-time content creators. There was one study that said there is 2 million people making above uh, 500 K a year in the creator economy. So 2 million making more than a hundred grand a year. Yeah. Uh, according to VC firm signal fire and over 50 million people, 46.7 million people have enough of an online following to monetize their content part-time. Right? So think about this class of, of business owner, right? They're both a person and a company, right? One in the same. And now they're trying to get a mortgage, right? Now they're trying to get a car loan, right? Carrot could be the financial, provider for all those services down the line. Totally. And the world's most valuable businesses are banks, right? They're lenders, right? So they could become that. And there was this one story about this content creator who couldn't get a, a, an apartment because there, it requires pay stubs. It's crazy how the, the financial industry still requires like pay stubs and like, it's so rudimentary. It's like so many people run their own businesses now. There needs to be ways for them to verify their income in these new fields. So, you know, Well, if you think about it, though,
0: like if they're going to raise over $100 million to go do this, they have to have all of those capabilities on their product roadmap. And I thought what they did was really, really good. And I haven't heard a framework like this before. I think most people think about their fundraising rounds very methodically, and it's always from a quantitative lens, right? It's like, okay, I want to get to my Series A. That means I need to have X amount of customers, and I need to be doing X million in ARR. Right. And so they try to work backwards from there. The way these guys did it is that they kind of approached it via a framework of questions, meaning that each fundraising round should answer a series of questions. Mm -hmm. So, for their first fundraising round, the question they were trying to answer is Do we believe in the creator economy? Is there something that has enough opportunity here to, to sustain an ecosystem? Right. So, now they raise just enough money to go answer that question. Right. And they can work backwards from it. The next question in in kind of merits the next fundraising round. Do we think more creators will build businesses and be businesses themselves? Right. And then there, there's a series of questions after that. You know, what is the wedge uh, in this going to look like? Are there cross sell opportunities, and they kind of cross sell. Yeah, cross sell opportunities, and then they cross reference that with like where they should be on their on their funding path or like their funding roadmap. So I thought that was a great way to to kind of figure out like. What are you actually solving and are you on track to doing those things?
1: Why don't you tell me about the next story? Because it's also a fintech company and it's also a company that built a credit card for a specific kind of business owner. Totally. Yeah. yeah. It it goes to show, right? Like my favorite thing about this episode that we're doing right now is that it goes to show that kind of a framework that works in one industry can then be applied to another one, right? Right. Um, and I think there's myriad kind of different financial products that can be built for different kinds of business owners. So why don't you hit me with the next story?
0: Yeah, man, let's keep the fintech theme going. Our next entrepreneur is a 28 year old out of Canada who's raised $157 million to build the de facto credit card for e-commerce businesses. We've been hinting at you can't just show up and raise that kind of money without having a really cool background. So Yasin is really impressive, man. His founder journey started in college. He was studying computer science, and him and his friend decided to build an econ business where they were selling custom GoYard cases, and quickly they started doing over 50 a month in profit. And these guys were growing from organic shoutouts from influencers on IG, and they kept it going for a year before it started to tap out. But he realized though that this marketing first approach was really powerful so essentially he made a bot and it would scrape up and coming trends that influencers audiences would want to see and he would build businesses and brands around that he continued to do it really well, and then kind of on the side quest, he built this affiliate marketing agency with his two buddies, and it's still doing twenty million dollars a year in revenue, and he's not even involved anymore. So just like passive checks coming in, uh, which bro, is bro, that's a hell
1: of a side quest. That's not a side mission, bro. That's like. That's like new game plus.
0: Yeah, that is like a second campaign. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But, you know, time and time again, he's facing this issue with his brands where he's not getting real time financial data um, on his businesses. And it felt like he wasn't getting the full picture. So he wanted to build a dashboard that would give real time insights on the financial health of his econ brands. And essentially, that was the origin for Parker, which is the company he's building now. In order to do that, though, he needed to build his own ledger, which meant making his own credit card. And so now he's got this big plan where he's starting with the credit card, and then he's going to build all of these other capabilities similar to how Carrot is approaching this. But honestly, man, they're killing it. They have over $4 billion in GMV on the platform, and their spending volume is currently over half a billion dollars a year. So truly, really impressive guy.
1: Yeah. I mean, after hearing these two stories, I honestly now think of credit cards almost like this like magnet, like this loss leader that you add and you create and you get people into because it can open up so many more doors for new businesses. Like his vision was to build an analytics dashboard, not a credit card. Right. Again, credit cards are just being used as this crutch, this wedge uh, to to essentially attack this beachhead or, or get in the ground floor of this market and allow users to kind of become members of a much larger and diversified platform.
0: Yeah, man, I think it's because credit cards are a strong pull because people will share their data in exchange for building credit, right? Like there's not too many other mediums that enable you to do that. But I thought one interesting uh example that he gave was especially around American Express and the issue with those cards. So American Express has the shadow limit, right? Like you don't know what your credit card limit is. And for a lot of econ brands, that's a huge problem, especially around like Black Friday and Cyber Monday, because Brands are spending money like crazy. You know, there's a lot of revenue coming in, and then American Express would just essentially like block the card, and now you're screwed. Especially if like you were depending on them to to give you the capital you needed in those like kind of hotspot times. Yeah. So that's actually what you've seen is focusing on is like building that transparency around the credit limits. And there's like two things within this business that make it so compelling, right? So one of their secret sauces, if you will, is their underwriting process. So they assess your cash flow that the e-commerce brands have, and then they build your credit card limit around that. So you are always aware of like how much your spending limit is, and you know how they came mm-hmm. up with those numbers. Super, super helpful. Yeah. The yeah. second thing that I thought they do really well, and is another secret sauce, is their payment terms. So the way their payment terms work like let's assume you have net 60 terms right the net 60 terms are dictated by when the transaction took place so if you made a transaction on march 1st and you made another transaction on march 3rd that would mean that the payments are due on may 1st and may 3rd respectively it's not I like l- it's a locked i love in that day. feature yeah
1: yeah okay so you know both of these companies were targeting a business owner that was not getting what they needed from the status quo. And dude, honestly, both these case studies make me think of something we talked about last episode, which is this idea of discussing newsletters where we're like, there's no, like these one size fits all newsletters, like they're not going to work. Like the current internet is far too compartmentalized with AI and data analytics, right? People are looking for specific applications to their specific set of circumstances, right? And not one massive business can understand that, right? Amex and Chase, like those are just very broad, massive institutions, right? And the internet and the way the world is going, like there's no such thing as one size fits all. It's niche, right? You need niches. And this is just another example of a business that can understand its competitor better sorry, they can understand its customer better than the competition. Duke, and I yeah. think we're seeing a lot of challenger businesses rise up yeah. in recent years that simply understand the customer better than the big firms, right?
0: Yeah, man, I think you hit the nail on the head. And I think that comes back to that cliche advice, but it's so true as to why it's so powerful to build for the problems that you face, right? Like, I think that because he ran his own e brands, he knew the, the cash flow issues that come up right? He knew the credit limit issues that could come up. And so he was just building to solve for his own problems. And I thought what was really cool is like, because they still had this affiliate marketing agency that was like doing really, really well, they could test it on that. So it was like, they were trying to find out what insights they wanted to get to know from their affiliate marketing agency. And they could like essentially test it on their own businesses first and then roll it out to other people. Um, And I was like, Dude, that's so that's so great, because like the worst thing you want is like, yeah, you ship this out and it does like a mediocre job. And, you know, there's already such a trust barrier that you have to overcome in payments. Right. Like yeah. <laughs> cash is like the lifeline of these businesses. Like you fuck that up and they're not going to they're not going to mess with you again. Right. So it's like it's yeah. better if you can work out all the kinks with your own stuff.
1: Yeah, and what I what I said about like these competitors, uh, these bigger financial companies, like we've seen new ones emerge. So like think of Ramp, yeah. right? Think of Brex. But even they are too vast, yes. right? Yes. Like th- there's even different kinds of startups, right? There's like this world is just so niche down now. So Ramp and Brex were focused on the big VC backed companies, like almost the whale clients because that's where they could make all the money, right? On whatever their business model was. But they were being they were ignoring the bootstraps, the bootstrapped and mid-market e-commerce businesses that Yassine was running prior to doing this business. And he was doing bootstrap companies before he started this venture back company, he's raised a bunch of money for it. I think 150 million plus. And now he has to raise venture because it's such a, a big, uh, a big category or big business that he's going after. Uh, but again, yeah, being ignored by not only the major legacy banks, but even the new ones, right? So even when you think the space is being attacked by new venture-backed companies and there's so much disruption, there's still opportunity, right. right? If you're a young entrepreneur, even if you're seeing a buzzy startup in Forbes or whatever going after this industry, there's still stuff they're missing, you know? They can't do everything.
0: That's it, the rem- thing, I yeah. thought.
1: I thought, the, I thought the cliche advice you were giving was like, if you build for everyone, you're building for no one. And I was like, oh, that kind of applies here.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. I think it's also like, if you think about it, there were alternatives, like Shopify Capital is also a thing, right? But- they're massive businesses. They can't do it as well as like a business that is just focused on one specific problem. This goes back to the Noah Tucker thing, right? Like, yeah, Shopify has its own affiliate and referral program and they have all these apps that kind of do the same thing, but like they're trying to solve 20 other different things. Like that's where that opportunity comes in, right? Because like if you can kind of play that like, in the David and Goliath role, but you're focused on that one specific little thing and you're going to do it better than everybody else, right? You can make a name for yourself. So I thought these guys are doing that really well. I thought what was really interesting is like some of the pushback that they got from investors. So what he was hearing from these investors is like, no one would argue with him that payments was a good business model. Their issue was like, can payments be used as a wedge to a software business? Because that's effectively what he was trying to do, right? It was like trying to build all these analytical capabilities in the, in the dashboard, right? So it was like, can you actually bring people in with a credit card and then go do these things? Um, and like his, yeah. big, his big pushback was like, that is the point, right? Like there's a lower acquisition cost if I just bring people in with the credit card and then expand new features yeah. and, and get them involved.
1: Yeah, the credit cards, like you know, like the big juicy bait, you know, on the the fishing rod, and then you reel them up, right?
0: Yeah, and I think though, like the data, like that's where the data source is coming from. It's from those credit card transactions, right? So they're going to pull from their own ledger, and then they can build the software tools around that, right? Like they don't yeah, have to I mess mean, with nothing, plat or, and, and try to build no- an API and other integrations and stuff.
1: Yeah, exactly. There's no middlemen, and then you're essentially. Tapping into the most intimate data in anyone's life, which is their personal spending, like their daily spending, right? Um, I'm surprised more credit cards don't have like expense management, like software, and like, you know, like a uh, Rocket Money did that one. It was True Bill, right? Like, I, I'm surprised that more features haven't been built out of the credit card space, and that's maybe just because these big legacy banks I don't have any incentive to. Yeah. But this conversation is particularly energizing because in a space that's so competitive, so crowded, right? The biggest companies in the world offer credit cards, like there's still opportunity for for some kids, these early twenties kids to build businesses and credit cards.
0: I think the one thing I would highlight here is like, how do you tactically go build a credit card or FinTech business, right? And I think this is a question that like a lot of first time founders would probably sit there and be like, yeah, this is all cool. And I see why this is great and all, but like, how how do you actually do that, right? And I think when it comes to highly regulated businesses, you have to spend the money to go bring in people who are extremely connected and have experience that you can lean on, right? Now you pay for insights and you pay for access. And so like what you would probably do in a business like this, and they probably have, is like hired someone who has tons of connections to banks and was able to kind of navigate that line for them, right? Because For banks to work with like a new company, that's a huge hurdle, right? Like it's one thing to like for them to be an issuer of your card, but for them to fully integrate with you, that is like a huge barrier, right? So like you have to convince the banks it's a big enough problem and it's best if you have an industry veteran kind of aligned with your interests in some way.
1: Well, that goes back to when we were talking about Bolin on like, yeah. episode two, right? It was like he found that uh, guy, Scott, who helped him open doors into the banking world. He'd sold software to banks in the past, right? You bring someone on with the connections. And that's in many ways, right, you know, what you want to do when you start a company is you've raised venture. You want to hire people with the relationships you need to make the business work. Um, maybe this is a affirmation that FinTech, not a great business for first-time founders to get into, still <laughs> super fascinating and like... Like, I guess Will and Eric were first-time founders, but, I mean, they had a a modicum of experience at some of the biggest tech companies in the world, and, like, that was their credibility. I mean, they worked at Um,
0: BlackRock, right? Like, these guys- Blackstone. Blackstone, BlackRock, right? Like, tons of people with tons of money, right? Like, they had all the right connections to go do this, and they're, like, super impressive and intelligent guys.
1: I mean, they're sharp. They're sharp as hell, right? So. Both sides, Yassim was you know, a very successful entrepreneur, and these guys were very credentialed in Silicon Valley. So they were able to attack these spaces. I don't think any entrepreneur could just walk out of their college dorm and, and go and do a fintech company. But like you said, if there is an opportunity, kind of like Bolin did, to find that individual who can open doors for you and will take a chance on your fintech idea, the odds of success are much higher.
0: I think one thing I want to talk about before we wrap up this podcast is like it's so important that you're playing in the right playing field, right? Like it's so hard to build. You're
1: in the arena. Yeah. you got to be in the arena. <laughs> yeah, something you got to be work, in the something arena something to won. win.
0: Yeah. Right? yeah. But it's so important that like, I think the first business you try to solve is something that like, is something low lift, right? Like, and I think it can be harder than like media companies and agencies and what we talk about, right? But like, put yourself in a position where you can actually succeed and, and like get some experience on the board, right? Like you actually yeah. um, like get some of that like foundational experience that can enable you to take a bigger swing in the future. Um, Like Encore in that interview we did talked about building Facebook apps before building and selling a $250 million company. Yes. You know what Education I mean?
1: Education company. He's yeah. with dumbass personality quizzes, bro. Like he found an arbitrage. He found some sc- schemey opportunity and like, I would say I w- would encourage after all the studying we've done of entrepreneurs, it's yeah. like don't worry about the quality of your first business affecting the quality of your second business, right? Uh, don't worry about the external view of your first business. Like whatever it is, it's gonna teach you all the things you need to know and open all the doors, connections, just give you that track record. So I think the quality of your business will go up over time. Like Anker started with Facebook quizzes, then he went to education for, you know, courses and all sorts of things. And then he's doing tax strategy for the wealthy. It's like the quality of your business will increase as you start to start new ones over time. You know, like we're not going to do a media company next, but that was (laughs) the way we got started because no one could have told us not to. We were able to just jump right in and create that business.
0: I think it also helps because if you actually go pursue a problem or a business that's relatively easy to start, it'll force you to put yourself in a doer kind of mode rather than getting stuck in the thinking mode. The issue with like trying to solve a big problem when you have no experience and no insights, is like you're stuck like doing things that don't actually move the needle. You're just trying to like get important people or like subject matter experts to spend the time to talk to you. And like you're stuck in this Mm. business plan phase and you're not actually like, Talking to prospects, and you're not actually like putting stuff out there and seeing like if there's any even any right. merit in this, right?
1: I mean, we've been in this position. Like your first business, you wanted to do a lounge in an airport, yeah. Right? Wherein I thought it was great, right? Like sale, uh, when you wanted to have meetings in another city, you could go straight to the lounge, like Simi's lounge, right? You know, you got your coffee, you got your food, croissants, dude. The boy Simi slinging up some <laughs> breakfast in
0: there. <laughs> well, that was the thing, <laughs> but man. But you
1: couldn't, yeah. You didn't have so any hard. inroads to. To airport real estate, I wanted to do like a a study app and then license content from publishers like McGraw-hill. I didn't know anybody at those companies.
0: How the fuck was I gonna do that? You know yeah. and I made inroads with like the Chief Commercial Officer at the Indianapolis airport. And I could only connect with her once every two months. I was like, dude, like, I'm still, like, trying to to convince her of my idea. And it's going to be like several years. (laughs) (laughs) like, It's just an unfortunate trap you fall into, right? And, like, granted, I knew her daughter really well. So that was, like, that was even the reason why I could even get a phone call with her in the first place. But, like, at that pace, not shit was going to happen. So
1: how'd you know her daughter? You're trying to. Trying to trying to make some strategic uh, dating moves or Relax, what? Relax,
0: sir. <laughs>
1: <laughs> a young entrepreneur needs a wedge. I, um,
0: <laughs> I prefer if it's the merits of your business, okay? <laughs> I'm, just,
1: I'm just remembering simmy, just every two months. It's, it's like, okay, like two months from now, it's going to be a yes. It's going to be my lounge. <laughs> Let, let's wrap up the episode. Everybody, hit that subscribe button. Uh, if you haven't already, Uh, We need every member of this army to be riding for the team. Uh, (laughs) Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify. Um, And we're so happy. People are commenting. They're comparing our show to My First Million, to Acquired. You know, we're already being likened to some of the biggest players in the category. Our clips are going viral. We're getting hundreds of thousands of views. Uh, The show's really starting to take off. Thanks to all of you. So. Uh, thanks guys. For you real. know, like that, this is awesome. you remember, remember like that P, you remember like that PBS TV show. And it was like, thank, thanks to viewers like you. That's it. Okay. <laughs> thanks Just to like listeners you like you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you to viewers like you.
0: One day we'll be a top 100 podcast one day.
1: <laughs> top 50, bro. Yeah, 50. that's
0: right. Well, stay frosty guys.
1: All right. Peace out everybody. Stay frosty.